Tēnā koutou no mai, haere mai, welcome to Q&A. As COVID-19 continues to impact the world, we want to take the opportunity this year to consider some of the issues that will define New Zealand's future. We're calling the series Tō Tato Anamata, Our Future. Today is our first special and we're going to spend the whole show considering one kaupapa, immigration. What's important for New Zealand's immigration policy in the future? We're going to hear from a range of voices this morning, migrants, academics, economists and policymakers. And I will start by asking that question to the panel that has joined us here. Sociologist Professor Paul Spoonley, I'm going to begin with you. What is important to you for New Zealand's immigration policy in the future? I think we need to reset that policy. So we've come out of a period, 2013 to 20, when we've had enormously high net migration, the highest ever. We've added about 400,000 to our population. And I think that was unsustainable. So COVID's the moment when we reset and we think about our future. And the thing that I think is most important is, what does that future look like as a country, as much as an, as an economy, and what role does immigration play in that? Arama Rata is a researcher on the panel with us today. Arama, what's important to you for New Zealand's immigration policy in the future? Well, I think it's important to remember that it was only less than a decade ago when we had negative net migration. So um, although it has been high in recent years, it started to fall prior to COVID. And what I wouldn't like to see is like knee-jerk reactions from our politicians, um, which may have, uh, have us swing back to negative net migration. So a lot of the factors that, that contribute to whether or not migrants come here are actually global economic factors, and in particular, the strength of our economy in relation to Australia. And these are things that politicians can't control. Um, and so I think yeah, we just need to be careful in how we, we talk about this issue. Economist Arthur Grimes, what's important to you for New Zealand's immigration policy in the future? Well, Jack, I think it's important to think about the people who are migrating. That's the, the most important. If you, you want to make sure that the migrants who are coming here are um, going to improve their lives by doing so and are pleased with their decision to come here, and also that the people in New Zealand who are welcoming the migrants are also happy with that situation. I don't think it's a question of numbers as such, but making sure that both groups are satisfied with the outcome. Filmmaker Oscar Kitely, what's important to you? An immigrant. Um, I guess, you know, you know, being part of the Dawn Raids, you know, I have a lived experience of the direct impact on people of immigration policies and then watching how in the last 20 years there's been a move towards skilled migrants. And I guess I'm here to speak up for the unskilled section and make sure that there's a balance because for a couple of decades there, the skill that we wanted for in our migrants was a willingness to do jobs that Kiwis wouldn't. And those people came, and they probably wouldn't have got in under today's criteria. But look what they brought. People like me and my generation and everything that everyone gives to that. So I just, I, I agree that there's a need for a reset, and I agree that it needs to serve our country, but mm. I think we need to be more human in terms of looking at who's coming over and why. Okay, I'm looking forward to unpacking this subject with you all this morning. 17% of New Zealanders identify as Māori, and of those, most have non-Māori whakapapa as well. So everything about modern New Zealand, from our language to our economy and our food, has been influenced by immigration. Here's how we've changed since the Second World War. We embark for the long voyage to New Zealand. With that, post-war immigration began. Those displaced by conflict came first. A thousand Eastern Europeans made the trip from Italy to our capital with an aim of peopling the country. 
1947, £10 got you a one-way ticket from the UK under the Assisted Immigration Scheme. Within two years, more than 16,000 £10 POMs had taken the plunge. The 50s Colombo plan targeted Asian students. Almost 3,000 arrived in the next two decades as our population surpassed 2 million people. Pacific migration was a driving force in the 1960s. Women were recruited for domestic work while businesses needing unskilled labourers started filling their factories with Cook Island men. The Pacific influx continued in the next decade, but with New Zealand 3 million strong and unemployment growing, the welcome mat was yanked away in 1974. The infamous Dawn Raids targeted many Pacific Islanders. At the same time, assisted immigration for Brits, Scandinavians and Europeans ended after a total of 84,000 people had been helped to move here under the scheme. In 1986, the government started to get more picky about who we let in. Education became a key factor. A national government built on that in 1991, with migrants' age, skills and finances also considered under the new points system. Post-apartheid, migration from South Africa surged, but Asian migrants were the most numerous in the 90s and the new millennium. By 2002, international student numbers had shot up, although they dropped a little as other nations competed with New Zealand. At the same time, the so-called brain drain was in full effect, with thousands of Kiwis crossing the ditch, 43,000 in 2008 alone. I like the idea of being able to sit on somewhere like the Coogee beachfront. Arrival numbers stagnated in the early 2010s, but then climbed 165,000 in 2019. The majority from Asia with 55,000, 27,000 Aussies came in. European arrivals a close third at 23,000, with Africa and the Americas recording 17 and 15,000 respectively, with 9,000 from our Pacific neighbours. Then of course, 2020, COVID-19, our border closed, and here we are. Yes, here we are, walking backwards into the future. Paul Spoonley, I want to come to you here. You touched on it before. In the last 10 or 12 years, we have seen a shift from net migration losses to net migration gains. What has been the impact of that in New Zealand? Uh, it's been huge, both positive and negative. I mean, the fact is New Zealand has moved from being a country that relied on British migrants largely through its colonial era, and then when the 60s and 70s came on the Pacific, but more recently, we've opened up and we've used a point system to attract talent from around the world. And that talent has been hugely important economically, but we've tended to neglect some of the social and other impacts, including, of course, infrastructure in a city like Auckland. So I think it's been a, a positive and negative at the same time. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask Arthur about some of those, some of those infrastructure and, and economic flow-on effects in a moment, but can you talk to us more about some of the social issues that you've seen arising from that? Well, in 1986, I was part of a team that wrote a Cabinet paper on social cohesion, and Cabinet declined to take that any further. And then, of course, for completely different reasons, mm. a shooting, a series of shootings in Christchurch, we've now come back to the question of what social cohesion should look like. And I think at the time we ignored a couple of things in terms of that cabinet paper. One was the impact that we didn't anticipate of the internet and the transformation that technology is, is, is imposing upon us. Mm. Um, and the second is it wasn't sufficiently tidity led. And so I think we've got to come back and talk about 
this country as a society, and to pick up something that Arthur said before, we want migrants to come and to gain from being in this place, but we also need to talk about the communities that are here and what role they play mm. and what their reaction is likely to be to that migration. Adam, I'll bring you in here. Do you see it as being both a good and a bad thing, the shift in migration patterns that we've seen over the last 12 years? Well, it's interesting. I was watching the, the clip there showing migration since um, World War II, and one of the most staggering migration events that occurred in Aotearoa, New Zealand, um, one that would certainly interest demographers around the world, was not the influx of foreign-born migrants to Aotearoa, but the massive, rapid urbanisation of the Māori population. Um, I'm from um, Taranaki near Parihaka, and my people didn't just wake up one morning and decide that they wanted to move to the cities and work mm. in factories. It happened after a series of events which included invasion, war, massive land theft, uh, the weaponization of debt against us, um, and all of these things destroyed our economy. And we see exactly the same thing happening globally now, um, which is why people are moving to Aotearoa. So if we're going to talk about um, migration here, we should think about that global context and mm. that global apartheid that forces people to be displaced from where they would prefer to live in many instances and to come here. So as we looked at resetting our immigration policies, if that's what we're doing, we also need to think about our role in the world and um, the institutions that we are part of that uh, reproduces this global inequality. Well, this is a reset point, if nothing more. We've got some stats here to look at uh, how migration numbers have essentially fallen off a cliff over the last couple of years in New Zealand. So that graph takes us from the start of 2019 to the end of last year. You can see uh, arrivals, departures and net migration all dropping there. Net migration is of course uh, arrivals minus departures in New Zealand. Uh, so a significant drop off despite the number of New Zealanders who have been returning here. Arthur, what has been the economic impact of our migration shift since the GFC? Uh, well, people coming into the country, uh, de depending on the type of person they bring different skills and depending on what we need the skills for is going to have different effects on different groups. Uh, we've used short-term migrants through the you know, seasonal employ employer scheme, the um, fruit picking, that sort of thing, to mm. fill in jobs that were, for whatever reason, we haven't been able to fill with, with lower skilled workers, so that's been a temporary scheme. And then we've had the point system for more um, skilled workers. For most firms, that skilled worker side has been extremely important. Uh, for whatever reason, our education system doesn't produce uh, people with IT skills and other uh, you know, skills that rely perhaps on mathematics. Uh, we've seen the state of our school system in, in that sphere. Uh, and so if you're working in one of those firms already, if those firms can't get the top-end IT workers, they're actually not going to succeed as a firm, and the other workers in the firm are not mm -hmm. going to be successful because they don't have the skilled people there to complement their activities. So for many firms and for many workers, the influx of highly skilled workers has been a real positive for them. Mm. It, uh, there's no evidence that it actually hurts their own wages, that so it doesn't hurt New Zealanders' wages. In fact, the, the work shows very strongly that there's no effect, basically, on that. What it does, of course, do is push up house prices. Mm. And that's where most people will see the economic impact of it, is that if you've got a house, you're going to be benefiting from migration. And if you haven't got a house, quite clearly you're not going to be benefiting because the cost of housing is going to go up. And has our infrastructure build kept up with our population growth? Uh, the infrastructure build lagged behind for a long time in the 80s and mm. 90s. That's where the big gap came up. 
Um, since then, we've had a lot of infrastructure build. Um, under the global financial crisis, the last government mm. really pushed infrastructure investment. This government has pushed infrastructure investment. So it was really the 80s and early 90s where the infrastructure gap opened up. Is there any work being done in terms of um, quantifying the economic impact of since we did move to kind of more skills-based, you know, point system? Like, has anyone actually done any work in terms of what that did compared to before the rules were changed? That's a really good question, Oscar. Thank um, you. I haven't seen. Yeah, do you want this job, Oscar? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I haven't seen a. a, a um a division like that before and after that would be mm. a fantastic research project I'll apply for a grant tomorrow <laughs> Oscar on mm. that point do you think we treat migrants well no nah. no nah. why not I think we're pretty racist here and um, you know if you look at the history of our v various migration laws governments have tried to design things you know way back in the day there were laws designed to keep Chinese out so we're not above changing the rules in order to try and genetically um, engineer our population mm. and I don't you know just as a Pacific person obviously we weren't treated well we had to make the All Blacks before um, there was a modicum of respect it's a bit of a you know throwaway flippant joke but it's a little bit true as well. Is it unreasonable for me Arama to suggest that the way our immigration policy is set up at the moment the question we are asking immigrants is what can you do for us as opposed to what can we do for you? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the biggest issues we've seen recently um, and part of the reason we have such high uh, migration in recent years has been the increase in people coming here on temporary visas. Um, and these people have no safety net, they, they can't access um, any of the resources that we can as citizens and we exploit their labour and then ship them home. Um, so it's, it's, it is racist, it's really unfair. If we look at many aspects of our immigration system, it's based on nationality, um, which is the same as having it based on race. So if you were to apply um, to enter New Zealand, uh, through Immigration New Zealand, um, on the screen that the, um, the workers there see is, is your risk profile based on what country you're mm. from. So this is racial profiling of people based on where they're from and what harm they might do to New Zealand. Which countries really struggled with that? Are, are there particular countries that struggled to kind of tick that box? Well, I think, <coughs> excuse me, um, that the way that, that risk is looked at um, in New Zealand is very much race-based. Um, so, you know, if you were from Tonga or somewhere like that, then people would think, oh, well, there's a, a big gang problem there. But if you're from Australia or if you're from the US, you're not flagged as mm. being a potential white supremacist terrorist. So I think there are lots of issues that we need to address in, in the racial profiling that goes on within our immigration system. All right, I'm going to pause us there for just a moment. This is really good, guys. We will continue this conversation. Stay with us. Q&A continues after the break. Kia ora, it's Chris Lewis and Ferrari Farmers. We need to attract, train and employ thousands of hard-working Kiwis. Until we get the skills and training side of things sorted out, we will need to continue to employ migrants to fill the skills shortage. Green pastures on Chris's farm, eh? This is about the most fed farmer's shot ever. Hawkey Mai, welcome back to this Q&A special. We are considering the future of immigration policy. It is a big subject, but we want to share a lot of voices with you. Race Relations Commissioner Meng Foon is himself the son of immigrants. Kia ora Meng, thanks for being with us. What's important to you for New Zealand's immigration policy in the future? I think the uh, immigration uh, policies going into the future should actually be based on human rights and the uh, Tiriti of Waitangi, um, especially in the uh, co-design of um, 
immigration policy going forward because, you know, the Tiriti is an important part of our foundation and Māori need to actually be part of that um, design of policy. How do we manage anti-immigrant sentiment? Um, look, it's a very difficult thing. I think the thing is actually we all have a responsibility in creating the environment uh, with the right conditions for uh, immigrants to actually participate in community. But also, on the other hand, we need to actually make sure that our immigrants actually have the capability and capacity and the confidence in participating in New Zealand society. And therefore, I think there actually needs to be um, some pre-education in terms of what our country is. You know, it is a democracy. It is founded on the Tiriti of Waitangi. We do have same-sex marriage. We have diversity of uh, many languages, many religion, the freedom of speech that comes with responsibilities based on human rights. And so we've got a good platform to actually work on. So would that be a sort of, the sort of thing that we offer to refugees who are settling in New Zealand? Yeah, well, they actually, when they refugees come into the um, various settlement centres, they are actually taught and schooled up on New Zealand's life, how to actually uh, be homemakers, how to actually participate in communities, albeit that is a short time. Um, I think it's continuous education. I think uh, we need to actually have um, uh, organisations, um, PTEs, private training uh, education providers, Wānangas, uh, uh, Wānangas, to actually uh, provide those um, services for our community. There is a huge amount of uh, voluntary organisations there, and I just want to acknowledge um, mm. people like the Red Cross. They do a fantastic job in resettlement of our refugees. Um, but then there are the refugees that come as, um, from family reunification. And I think that's where sometimes there is a little bit of breakdown in terms of knowledge of New Zealand and its uh, processes and how do they actually get to participate in, in our society and acknowledging that a refugee is different to a migrant. We are there also providing a humanitarian um, immigration here to New Zealand. Nā mihi kiākwe. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time. It is Race Relations Commissioner Meng Foon. I want to pick up on one of Meng's broader points there. Paul, you touched on this before. Mm. Social cohesion. We've seen anti-immigrant sentiment play some role in the likes of Brexit and in some of the political discourse in the United States. Is that a risk here? Yes, absolutely. And I think during last year's general election, you began to see that risk beginning to mount. And I think there are some um, parties, some individuals and some communities who feel very, very anxious about immigration. And when we develop the immigration policy going forward, we really need to take some of that opposition and some of that anxiety into account. Our own research shows that two things matter, education and contact. And so when you get away into those communities where there isn't contact with diversity, when there isn't contact with uh, tiwi Māori, for example, mm. then you get that prejudice building up. So we've got to find ways 
to address that anxiety and to address that racism. Now, I, I know that obviously one of the most high-profile political parties to call for a dramatic reduction in immigration numbers is New Zealand First. We uh, had been planning to have Jenny Marcroft, former New Zealand First MP, here with us today, but she's had to pull out because of a last-minute family emergency. But, Arthur, I know there will be people watching this who prickle at the suggestion that being anti-immigration is in any way xenophobic and will say there are economic arguments that actually suggest we should reduce our immigration numbers. What's your response to that? Uh, no, my response is that anti-immigration is being xenophobic. Most of the people who are strongly anti-immigration are xenophobic. And uh, so I don't think there's actually <laughs> a Is there any economic here. argument? <clears throat> Um, the, the, as I the said fact before, that, the, the, the house prices the, in, in the, Auckland and Wellington the, are north of a million dollars. The one, the one area where I think immigration has a negative impact on people is through house prices. Um, it certainly doesn't have a negative impact on the labour market and jobs or employment, but it has an impact on, on house prices. Uh, if we had a proper, um, you know, decent housing supply uh, through through the country, we'd be able to overcome that. Mm. But the problem is surges in immigration. It's not the level of immigration. If you have, um, a, 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 say, 100, 120,000 immigrants per year, um, which is our average sort of level, we can easily cope with that. Um, it's when it surges by an extra 50,000 in a year, that's when housing and, and infrastructure and things can't keep up. So it's, that, it's those surges that are hard. But it's also, for the reasons that Arama said, incredibly difficult to target these things in terms mm. of net migration because we don't control how many New Zealanders decide to leave. We don't know how, we can't control how many former immigrants decide to go back home, uh, etc. So we don't know how many New Zealanders are going to return. So these, actually trying to target a figure on net migration is very difficult. Oscar, does it matter where immigrants come from? It shouldn't. Does it? It does, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure... <laughs> Those people that complain about house prices aren't talking about the Americans that are here buying houses or the people from the UK, you know, it's people with Asian sounding names. Um, but I, I can't stop thinking about something that um, the Commissioner said about how Te Tiriti has to be at the core. If we are going to have a reset, and I feel like this is a good opportunity, I, I agree with him that, you know, New Zealand can't even deal with the immigration from the rural areas <laughs> to the urbans. And so we're trying to have this conversation about getting more people into our waka when we're, there's, so many, there's so much that needs to be sorted out here. I feel like the owner should be on us to sort that quicker rather than saying, oh, it's too slow, we can't handle it. Because hmm. um, we're notoriously under-investors, aren't we, in terms hmm. of the stuff that we need to do. Like, just take Auckland's um, stormwater drain pipes over 100 years old because no council, it's not sexy to campaign on fixing the drains. No one likes rate rises. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Adama, I want to pick up on one of those points. And we're going to get to a discussion about the future and what a Tiriti-led immigration policy might look like a little later in the programme. Do you think that migration in the last 15 years has been good for Māori? Well, um, if we're talking about immigration in Māori, we should set a, a, a longer timeline. Um, we have had a massive influx um, in recent years, but that, um, that's not the first time in our history where that's happened. No. Um, following the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi, there was a massive influx of people, and that was done with a specific intent to overwhelm Māori politically. Migrants coming to Aotearoa today are not here to take over. Um, they're here to contribute um, to our society. Um, and picking up on the point that um, we've been talking about here about cohesion, um, often, you know, people 
um, suggest that Māori might be really anxious about, about other people coming to Aotearoa um, and overwhelming us again. But um, some of the work that I've done looking at attitudes towards multiculturalism and Māori culture and how important it is for New Zealand's identity has shown that actually um, Asian, the Asian, broad Asian mm. group, um, most of whom are born overseas, had more positive attitudes towards Māori culture than European New Zealanders. So I see this as something we should welcome and as, as great natural allies for Māori moving forward. It's really interesting to note some of the demographic changes. And Paul, I think this came from your recent book. By 2030 at some stage, the number of New Zealanders who identify as being Asian New Zealanders will be at a par, at, at the same level, with the number of New Zealanders who identify as being Māori New Zealanders. What do you think the impact of that will be? And I, and I appreciate that uh, Asia as a geographic region is enormous. Yeah. Yes, and, and the category Asian itself is problematic because we're dealing with people that are enormously different as, as mm. a title like Pacifica does with the people from the Pacific. So I think what it does is it really reverses what we did mm. uh, in terms of a colonial history where we excluded Asians and we were highly discriminatory at the border and once they'd come here. I mean, I don't know whether most people realise that uh, Chinese couldn't become New Zealand citizens until mm. 1951. So we've got a long history of racism towards uh, migrants from Asia. So what I think it does is it opens up the opportunity when you've got both populations, both Māori and those Asian communities at about 800,000, it opens up the opportunity of what New Zealand should look like in the 21st century. And it's not what we looked like 20 years ago, and it's certainly not what we looked like 50 years ago. So what does that new New Zealand look like? It's incredibly diverse. The Māori population is still growing, and it's still younger. And then alongside that, we've got these non-Pākehā populations mm. which are growing in size considerably, and that's despite COVID. I mean, COVID will halt that growth temporarily, but won't in the long term. And so that's a very, very different New Zealand. Yeah. What does it mean to be a New Zealander? Well, we will let you ponder that question <laughs> <laughs> for a few minutes. The panel will be back to discuss the future of our immigration policy in a couple of minutes. Hey, Aquane, Q&A will continue after the break. So we want jobs that are decent uh, and where people feel respected. Uh, and uh, we know that for migrant workers, uh, they are often more vulnerable in the workplace. Okimai, Itefano, welcome back to this Q&A special. Navigating the New Zealand immigration process can be a confusing and frustrating experience for new migrants. Even before COVID-19, processing for the skilled migrant visa had a significant wait time. And there are the personal and cultural challenges that come with moving across the world. We picked a Kiwi town at random to ask migrants about their experiences moving here. Here's reporter Fina Owen. Yes, it's Oamaru with grand reminders everywhere of the district's largest wave of migrants, the Victorians. Eight centuries earlier though, Māori settled here and other people followed. But let's meet some of the more recent arrivals who now call Oamaru home. Hola, uh, kia ora. I am Antonio Cabrera from, from Spain. Hello, my name is Ozi. I'm from Malaysia. Talofala, my name is Toyafia Fitaiti. I came um, to Dunedin and into Oamaru in late 70. And I am still here. Me and my family, we have been uh, here in Oamaru from uh, December, before Christmas. 
I have been in New Zealand since five years ago, and I just moved to Omaru a month ago. Corre, Alba, buscar fresas. We were thinking to, to come to New Zealand or an, another English language country for our girls, that them learn English properly, not like me. <laughs> hey, here, look at that, two for you. We decided that it was the best moment for coming here because we were very sad in Spain with the, everything, with the coronavirus, the politicians. What attracted me uh, to this country is um, the beauty of its nature and its diverse people. When my family uh, first uh, came here, my sisters, so they start bringing us uh, into New Zealand. Uh, it's for work. We work and save and send some money back home to support our parents and our young, younger siblings. So did Kiwis welcome these new arrivals? It's more of farming community in those days. And it's not many of us specific island people. It's like a new thing for the Palangi to see us. We also hardly ever faced um, any racism since we first set foot here. I think it's harder to, to have a really good friends. The Omars came here on a student visa and say they are now hitting immigration walls. Ozzy's husband and Daniel his father is a halal slaughterman. He couldn't get work in his profession as a quantity surveyor. He applied a lot. What did they say to him? Um, most of the company uh, asked if he had um, a New Zealand uh, experience. I think that it's impossible for us to get residency. Why I, I say impossible? Because to get residency in New Zealand, it must be um, below 56 years old. And my husband, he turns 56 this June. It's been a different immigration experience for Antonio's family. His wife is a GP and the regions need GPs. In New Zealand you need a lot of doctors, so uh, it's like a red carpet, you know, it's, it's uh, for the whole family. He spent some time in Oamaru a decade ago and has seen how people can get ahead here. I have met a, a lot of people who began, began from nothing and uh, now they have a business or, you know, a new life, a really good life. If the Omar teenagers want to take up tertiary study under the family's open work visa, they'll have to pay international student fees. Like my daughter, after, when she turns 20, her future in New Zealand just stopped there because she has to pay international student fees, which we can't afford. Toy's New Zealand dream, when she left Samoa 50 years ago, has come true. Her children are all educated and her daughter is a community leader. It's a better place to be in New Zealand and in Omaru. Immigration Minister Chris Farfoy says a review of the skilled migrant programme is one of his priorities this parliamentary term. Australia is holding an inquiry into its skilled migration programme and in New Zealand expressions of interest under the category are currently suspended. Chris Farfoy is with us. Tēnā koe. Welcome to Q&A. Really? What does that actually mean? So anyone who's on a skilled migrant category visa um, are here on a temporary work visa 
um, depending on if they've got a job opportunity, they, they do have a pathway to get residence. So that is what we call an ex expression of uh, interest process. Um, we halted that process back in April of uh, last year, mm. um, essentially because of the situation at the borders. Um, now, um, we can't uh, look at any um, applications that are from overseas because the border is closed. Um, and the capacity of processing, and they are involved processes, has been taken largely up by staff who are looking at the exception and exemption process for people who want to come into COVID at the moment. So there's a degree of the legislation that we passed has caused mm. issues for people offshore, but also um, the the processing of work for people who are coming in under COVID conditions has taken up a lot of the capacity of people who would normally process some of those expressions of interest. So even even before COVID-19, the processing time for some of those skilled migrant visas was really long. I mean, you hear about delays of up to two years. Why was that? Yeah, because I think um, there were many more applications than were expected. Um, uh, and I think one of the things that we will look at as part of the review is have we got the settings right? Um, uh, I, I've, I've openly talked about the, a rump of ap applications that come in at the lower end of uh, the criteria and, and how, how we deal with those. Uh, because I think, and having listened to some of uh, the comments from the panellists earlier in the show, um, we need to start thinking about long term, what kind of skills we have here, what kind of skills we do need here and where the threshold for that is and as to who we might bring in, um, mm. that to start as temporary work, um, but also to have a pathway to residence. But do you only want skilled workers? Uh, no, that's only one, one of, the, one, one of mm. the pathways to come into New Zealand. Um, if you ask any business or sector at the moment, of course they want skilled workers, but the ability to do that is uh, extremely limited. But uh, again, as some of your panellists have said, we've got an opportunity here with COVID to have a look at the long-term settings for our immigration system. Um, quite timely that a review for the SMC was coming up and we'll, we'll undertake that process. Okay, so you, you're, you're reviewing the skilled migrant um, visas. What about, what about people who come here on temporary visas and student visas as well? Look, that, that's obviously very difficult at the moment. Uh, and again, I think we have to look, um, as my predecessor had, had mm. uh, talked about, um, about the, the long-term immigration system um, and thinking about high quality immigration system. What does high quality mean though? Well, well it means how, how do we get um, the most um, effective puff of wind for New Zealand out of our economy and also for our communities. Um, you know, some of the panellists have talked about do we look after migrants well enough? Well, if we're landing them here on student visas but their experience isn't good in terms of migrant exploitation, are we doing them a good turn by having the settings where they are? Um, are we putting extra pressure on, on infrastructure, on housing by having mm. the settings where they are? And again, I think as well as doing the SNC review, having a, a moment of pause while the border is closed gives us an opportunity to think about the immigration system transitioning out of where we are at the moment, um, but also 10, 15, 20 years ahead, not just with business, but also communities, because I think it's also important how, when we bring people here, um, how they land is, and how we look after them as well. There are economic impacts and there are social impacts. Yeah. What are your officials telling you about what will happen to demand from people who want to move to New Zealand once the borders reopen and once we're past the immediacy of COVID-19? Look, there's an assumption that it will increase and I think there's some validity in that. Um, but demand for how long is uh, the question. I think we'll probably get a post-COVID bump in interest and we would like to see a post-COVID bump in interest from people who want to invest in New Zealand um, and bring uh, both uh, resources and create jobs here in New Zealand. But if you think look, you look further out, 10, 15, 20 years, um, you know, some of the nations that uh, have fed our uh, migrant workforce, mm. their populations are going to decrease as well. So our ability to get people 
in to do some of those jobs is going to be made even harder. And one of the things that we want to make sure that we're doing with an immigration system, especially with skills, is that we also take the opportunity to deal with some generational domestic issues. Um, you know, Māori and Pacifica are far too overrepresented in low-skilled, low-wage work. Mm. What are we doing uh, to make sure that we are taking an opportunity to upskill them, to make sure that they're earning good wages, as well as looking at the extra capacity that immigration, which has traditionally um, uh, been yeah. a way of filling skill shortages, uh, can assist there too. A high net worth individuals actually good immigrants? Oh, look, it depends on what they bring uh, and the sustainability of, of their investment. You know, someone can bring in, you know, uh, a big wad of millions of dollars and then be gone and not create any jobs. It really is keeping an eye on what they do and, and the jobs and sustainability of those jobs in the future. Uh, and, you know, that's what um, Stuart Nash, as Minister of Economic Development, is looking at in terms of some of the investor mm. strategy um, work that he's doing. Do you, feel, do you feel comfortable about, about being in a country where essentially high net worth individuals can buy citizenship? Uh, no, um, uh, and that's not what we're doing. Um, but I do think that there's going to be added interest in, in New Zealand, uh, and we're seeing it already. Would Peter and, Thiel agree? <laughs> well, uh, that wasn't our government. That was a separate <laughs> government, so we won't go there. Um, but we think there is an opportunity mm -hmm. here post-COVID uh, to say, OK, if there's um, sustainable investment here that can create jobs, we should take that opportunity. Um, but then I think also when you're talking uh, to sectors or individual businesses who have um, traditionally relied on migrant labour, we need to have a conversation about them, about their long-term growth plans to see what their skills needs are, what we can do to make sure we max out the opportunities for New Zealanders uh, and also um, a transition post-COVID, but also uh, what immigration looks like for them in 10, 15, 20 years. Minister Farfoy, thank you very much. You're going to be with our panel in a couple of minutes, which we appreciate. We're going to continue the discussion in a moment. First, though, former National Minister Paula Bennett has some strong thoughts on our immigration policy. She thinks we should be going really big. Like, let's put it out there, Auckland could be twice the population. Aucklanders want the infrastructure of Melbourne, yet they're happy to be at, what, 25% of the population. Get real. Um, now, people will freak out that you're thinking about, you know, growing the population that much. But if we actually had a debate and did kind of set a number, then we can start working towards it and the infrastructure for it. If I said to you, you know, you're in business and I said, okay, in a year's time I guarantee you another thousand customers, well, you're going to build the infrastructure getting ready for them. And that's what we could do if we knew a population number, if we were brave and if we were strong. We know that uh, a one-size-fits-all immigration policy settings across New Zealand will not work in the future. We need to take into account regional differences and make sure we've got a pragmatic approach to accepting that we've got differences in some parts of New Zealand that we need to take into account. Hoki mai e te welcome back to this Q&A special. We are going to focus now on tō tātou anamata, our future. And I have a question for all of our panellists. Arama, uh, I will start with you. Who should we let into New Zealand? Well, um, one interesting um, statistic uh, is that despite recent increases in immigration, our numbers from the Pacific have actually been decreasing. And, you know, our, our relations across the Pacific, they're part of the same culture. It was quite arbitrary that, you know, a circle was drawn around these three islands and this separation was created. Um, we've been in this part of the world for 4,000 years, so what I would like to see is a recognition of that and more migrants from the Pacific. Minister Farfoy, who should we let into New Zealand? Oh, look, um, 
I think anyone who, um, or people who enrich our wellbeing, both economically and also culturally, um, and from my personal experience, we've actually got a history of doing that. Um, I think we need to be more deliberate about it. Paul Spoonley, who should we let into New Zealand? People who want to come here and people who can contribute, and I mean contribute in the widest possible sense. So I agree with the Minister. Uh, yes, we've got a, a set of economic interests that we want to see met, but remember that migration is also about social and cultural factors as well. Oscar Kitely, who should we let into New Zealand? Well, we kick people out when they fail character tests. And I feel like that should be at the heart of why we let people in. It should be about their character, what they bring. And I totally agree, more Pacific people. We tend to think New Zealand, that the Pacific is in New Zealand. It's not. New Zealand's in the Pacific. And we're acting like it's over there, <laughs> next to Europe and, you know, wherever. Arthur, who should we let into New Zealand? Well, I agree with Ming Foon that uh, people who come here should have an acceptance and willingness to work with the to treaty and uh, respect our human rights. I think that's very important. And then given that, uh, I think the people that can and are willing to contribute to making New Zealand a better place. Paul, let's pick up on that tiriti yes. point. What might a tiriti-led immigration policy in the future look like? Well, I think the involvement of Tiwi Māori is, is critically important. So um, Ming mentioned co-design, and we haven't done that in terms of our immigration policy. So that's, that's a first step for me. I think some of the values that Māori contribute to all of us, manaakitanga, for example, is something that ought to be involved in our broad immigration policy settings. And then I think there's always the implementation question. So sometimes we think about policy as being grand and vision and design, mm. but it's actually what happens on the ground which is critically important. So which institutions, which communities, which people are going to lead that at the local level? He's sitting right next to you right here, you can have a word <laughs> with him, <laughs> I think. Adama, what do you think a tiriti-led immigration policy would look like? Well, I think we need to give full expression to te tiritiru of Waitangi. That means te tiratanga. So in my view, we need Māori independence. So with our political independence, it won't be just a case of co-design, but rather shared decision-making um, moving into the future. Minister, what um, considerations are you giving to the tiriti in this review? Oh, look, um, it's not just immigration. I think um, if we think about how we look after people who arrive, I think education plays a big part. Uh, employment plays a big part, and I don't mean employment of the migrants, but mm. also looking after New Zealanders. And again, I've stressed the point of Māori and Pacifica who have had generational challenge there. Um, and I think you know, taking a first step of teaching our own history in schools, and that being, uh, and those who are coming to New Zealand, and those kids who are coming to New Zealand being exposed to that is really important. But then again, I think it can express itself in the likes of the regional school leadership group, where we have included iwi in those groups. Um, because it is important for um, when we talk about uh, skills and employment and immigration mm. in a region that the local iwi are a part of that as well. I, I was speaking about it with Ming Foon earlier. Of course, when refugees are resettled in New Zealand, they're assisted through that process. They go to a resettlement centre and they learn a little bit about New Zealand society and New Zealand culture. There are no such requirements for new migrants to New Zealand. Should that change? Oh, look, I think we can always do a better job of um, landing new, um, migrants in, into New Zealand. There, there is quite an intensive package of support that goes around refugees and, and, and that is the right thing to do. 
I think it's not just a government responsibility here. It's about how uh, education is set mm. up to acknowledge that there might need to be some what I would call cultural literacy in classrooms so that they understand that when children turn up in a classroom, their norms are not the norms of New Zealand and they understand how they behave differently, which might seem a challenge in the mm. classroom, but they are not. It's just how they have come to a different setting. Uh, and also um, businesses and employers who might bring them in uh, make, have to make sure that they are helping them integrate as well. I want to ask about businesses and, and employers' roles and responsibilities in a moment, but I'm really interested in that point. Does, does anyone else have strong thoughts as to whether or not new migrants in New Zealand should be subjected to some sort of cultural education? Should it's so should useful. Oh, I mean, I, I sometimes used to... I mean, I know refugees are fleeing war-torn countries and conflicts, so, you know, they deserve to have the chance to come here, but I was always, I always admired that they had a place where they could learn about New Zealand. Mm. And I think for immigrants, um, that would have been so useful because you have to kind of figure it out as the years go by. Mm. And sometimes you learn the hard way. We, we had a program at Massey University in which the local migrant communities, largely Asian, were welcomed onto the campus by um, Tangata Whenua as part of Matariki. And that was a hugely successful learning exercise for both communities. Mm. And I don't think we have enough opportunities for that sort of exchange to take place. I would not want cultural literacy to be a criteria for deciding who should come, but we as a community have a responsibility to increase that mm. cultural literacy. Well, under the moment, uh, at the moment, of course, skilled migrant under the skilled migrant worker, you get a certain number of points for English proficiency, don't you? Mm. But you wouldn't want to see that be a requirement, but rather an option for education for migrants. Well, I think the minister yet. made a good point before, Jack, was that actually a lot of New Zealanders don't know our history either. Uh, mm. You know, they've mm, sort of yeah. they've learnt things through osmosis, and and they've obviously learnt the. the culture of being in New Zealand through osmosis but the ignorance of what's gone on in, in New Zealand over the last 200 years and, and well you know last 800 years if you like um, is, is very strong mm. and so you know I think we need to do this for everyone not just for migrants. Mm. Alright like I say we, we really want to share a wide range of, um, of thoughts and opinions on this kaupapa this morning so we went and asked a group of young New Zealanders what they think about our immigration settings. I believe that immigrants are an important asset to the country. They fuel the economy and uh, they bring in um, a lot of talent and skill. So for me, sustainable growth is very much at the forefront um, and ensuring that whatever we're doing is sustainable for anyone coming in and the population we also currently have. It aims to be both as inclusive as possible and beneficial to not only the immigrants coming into New Zealand, but to the people here in New Zealand. I believe for New Zealand it's good that we get a good mixture between like the skilled workers and also the people that really need to come here. It's just really important to be cautious and careful with the policies that we put forward. I would like to see where um, tikanga is involved in the process as well as treaty obligations as I believe it is important for immigrants to come to Aotearoa and do smoothly integrate with um, you know te iwi. Even though immigration benefits New Zealand a lot. I feel as if over the years, um, New Zealand's reliance on immigration for economic growth has really led to a sort of damaging of our national identity. I think their um, visa applications should be assessed in a more effective manner. Um, for me, it is very concerning that there is a very long, long queue. We ensure that families aren't separated, especially for our migrant workers. We have no re reason to reject any immigrants from abroad. 
Some interesting views there. Perhaps this is a crude reading, but, but I see there being two major issues with our immigration policy. One is the social issues that come from our immigration settings, and the other is the economic uh, outcomes from our immigration settings. I want to pick up on the employer's point uh, you made earlier, Paul. What is the role of employers and business in New Zealand when it comes to immigration? Well, I, I think it's firstly to take part in the immigration selection process. So um, sponsorship of particular immigrants is and should be part of our immigration selection and recruitment process. Mm. But I do think, and, and employers are gonna start yelling at the screen at this particular point, I do think they have abdicated their responsibility once those migrants land in New Zealand to help them adjust to the work setting. What we hear repeatedly is that employers say migrants don't have local experience, their English is not appropriate. Well, both of those things can be corrected by sectors and by employers. And the recognised seasonal employment scheme is a good example of a situation where employers have played a role, housing workers looking after their pastoral needs, their social needs, as well as providing them with a job and connecting us with the Pacific in a, in a way. So I think we need to do that more generally. And I do get a little disappointed that employers always complain deeply about the lack of migrants to work in the sector when they don't often consider the opportunity to employ New Zealanders or they don't provide those migrants with the skills, the experience and the things that make them important people who settle in this country. Although many firms do, I think, Paul. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put this as, a, as all employers no, look, no. looking the no, same no. because mm. the employers I talk to um, are saying actually they, they are the ones who are trying to get the skilled workers in, in particular skilled workers, uh, and they're being prevented from doing so by government settings. Mm. Uh, they actually want to bring them in and, and provide them with, mm. with this, the sort of services that you're talking mm. about. So many employers are actually <laughs> yeah. the strongest advocates for, for doing stuff for, for immigrants. Okay. It will come as no surprise that migrant arrivals in New Zealand are not spread evenly across the country. The point system tries to incentivise people to take jobs outside of Tamaki, Makoto, Auckland, but about 60% of migrants come to our biggest city. Many regional parts of Aotearoa New Zealand are experiencing skills shortages. Heath Milne is the CEO of Development West Coast and is with us. Kia ora, Heath. What's important to you for New Zealand's immigration policy in the future? Oh, hi, Jack. So, yeah, the West Coast has been hit uh, particularly hard by the COVID crisis and it's not the first one we've had. We've had uh, reduction in the extractive industries, uh, several, several hits over the years and our population has actually declined significantly. Uh, so as far as our, uh, where we sit now, we've got an ageing population and our biggest export is our young people. So we are absolutely short of, uh, short of uh, skilled workers. I think we need to be focusing on uh, retaining those young people, but also uh, bringing in the right skills that are going to bring diversity of thought uh, and also um, will make a good contribution to the West Coast going forward. But I think a regional approach to, to immigration is important because not every region is in the same, same situation, not every region needs the same sort of skills. Right, so, so in a practical sense, that's where you would go with immigration settings. You'd try and get a finite regional approach. I think a regional approach needs to definitely come into it um, and, and form part of the wider, wider policy. All right. Heath Milne from Development West Coast. Tēnākwe, thank you very much for your time. Stay with us. We will wrap up this conversation on Q&A in a couple of minutes.
New Zealand should be targeting a population of around 7 to 8 million. I think the more the merrier. I think, you know, at the moment 5 million is enough. Is that 7, is that 8? Probably around, let's say, 5 million, 5.5 million where we're at right now. I know that, you know, the New Zealand Institute for Economic Research has floated numbers like, you know, 15 million and things like that. But again, it's not just about who's coming in, but it's about how you're managing the population that you have. I think New Zealand's ideal population number should be around 7 to 8 million. It really depends on how our infrastructure can catch up. I think the number should be one in which that we can provide everyone in New Zealand and Aotearoa New Zealand with uh, a positive, decent life and as much opportunity as possible. Welcome back to Q&A and Tōtato Anamata, our future. Is that an impossible question? I'm going to ask each of our panellists. <laughs> Arama, what is New Zealand's ideal population? Well, our doubling time is around about 35 years at the moment, so it's, it is likely to grow a lot. Um, picking up off uh, one of the points that one of the young people made, brilliant young people, by the way, yeah. um, was around sustainability, and that's often used as an argument to not increase the population too much. But we need to remember that it's actually extractive industry and other industries that are, that are ruining our environment. It's not people coming here to live. Minister Farfour, have you got a number for us? No, um, <laughs> I don't think we should be painting by numbers. I think that's kind of that kind of approach has led to the short-term thinking around immigration, which has led us to the point where we are now. But if we're, if we're to work backwards from the country we want to be, surely we need to have some sort of number in mind? Um, no, I don't think you do, actually, um, because there are so many factors that go into that, that aiming for a number is not the way to, to treat this. There are relationships like that, that have been floated with the Pacific that you might want to look at. Um, there are inflows and populations of other countries mm. that usually send people here uh, to fill our um, skilled migrant that, um, workforce that might end up drying up a little bit more. So that's why I think our focus isn't just on immigration, it's about looking at the generational challenge we've had here and upskilling our New Zealanders to make sure that they can fill some of those gaps and also talk about that in an immigration context. Professor Paul Spurney, what's the ideal population number for New Zealand? I love the idea that the Minister is thinking long term because there is no magic number and we need, it would be lovely to have a discussion about population. So declining fertility, ageing, regional differences and immigration. Let's put them all together and say, what sort of growth should we expect over, let's say, 10, 20 years? And then what sort of immigration should we factor into that? Oscar? Well, Greater Sydney's 12,000 square k's, and that's 5.3 mil. We're 268,000. My number is more. <laughs> I think there's room. Okay. As long as we remember that once people move here, they become New Zealanders. Uh, and, and their kids are New Zealanders, and we shouldn't always treat, you know, the different ethnicities like they just got off the plane mm. last week. Arthur? Well, like Oscar, I was comparing it with overseas. Uh, two countries was New Zealand's land area, Japan and the UK. 120 million in one of them, 60 million in the other. They do all right. Um, we've got two cities in Australia, each of whom are the size of New Zealand, you know, mm. Melbourne and, and Sydney. They're pretty neat cities. Uh, there's no reason why we should be thinking in very low numbers as being ideal. New Zealand used to be deadly dull and boring when it had two and a half million, three million people. I remember when, those when, days. When Paul and I grew <laughs> up and yeah. Oscar was hiding from the immigration yeah. authorities. Yeah. Um, you know, that, it was just and a terribly dull. And the closed on Sunday. And they closed yeah. it. You know, it was That's just a right. deadly dull place. New Zealand mm. is now alive. Couldn't get a coffee. It's got no food halls. It's got, it's got Chinese <laughs> restaurants, terrible. Thai restaurants. You know, oh. you know yeah, yeah. it's such a lively place now. <laughs> much more lively. And it could <laughs> be much more lively. And it only gets better. I mean, it was really hard in the 70s, I'll admit that. Yeah. But it's become better and better, no matter what the challenges that we've been throwing at us. We find a way. Mm.
Paul, what should be the priority for the minister as he reviews our setting? Well, he, he's, he's, got, he's got to think about the economic challenges mm. because, as Heath mentioned before, on the West Coast, we're going through a major period of economic transformation. Mm. Technology is changing, and COVID has accelerated those changes. So that's happening. We're changing economically. The second thing is he's losing population on the West Coast. We've got to think about those broader population issues. And so as the minister begins to think about what a post-COVID immigration setting, is the point system working? Is it working in terms of its implementation? Are we getting the right sort of people here? And then what happens with, to those people once they're here? So there's a complete package from initial recruitment all the way through to settlement that we need to think about. And Adamar, I'll finish with you. If you get a couple of minutes with the Minister in the Green Room after our programme, <laughs> what will be your advice? Um, I think we need full rights for all people who come here regardless of visa status. Um, I um, sorry. That's oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's going to be a long list. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a pen. <laughs> look, look, I'll tell you what. Well, the point about um, deciding where people should live. I yeah. don't think it's fair that we should tell migrants where they yeah. should live and no. other New Zealanders get to move freely. Mm. So that, that would not be something I would put in our immigration policy. All right. Hopefully we can continue this conversation. Thank you so much for all participating. <laughs> Armarata, uh, Mr. Chris Barfoy, Professor Paul Spoonley, Oscar Kitely and Arthur Grimes. Kumatu. That is Q&A for this week. We're going to be doing one of these specials every month this year. Hopefully you found this a thought-provoking uh, thought discussion. Thank you to the Q&A team. Hey Teera Wiki, we will see you next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Q&A is made with the support of New Zealand On Air.